Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 290 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. We will look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about the history of Jesus' birth. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Jimmy, what are we doing on today's episode? Normally for Christmas, we release a weird questions program based on an episode of Catholic Answers Live. However, this time we're doing something a little different. Instead of using a weird questions episode, we're going to be using an episode in which Cy Kellett interviews me about the very first Christmas. Jesus's birth is very mysterious to a lot of people, and the Christmas cards and Christmas TV specials we see often aren't accurate. So Cy is going to be asking me about what we really know about the birth of Jesus and how we know it. So with that, Merry Christmas, everyone. Hello, and welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kelly, your host, and every now and then... I get to do what I want or talk about what I want. And the one thing I would like to do in preparing for Christmas is to talk to Jimmy Aiken about the nativity. And I've got a whole bunch of questions to ask Jimmy. So we're going to just make it a conversation this hour as we close out the week. So I hope it's a conversation that you will uh, enjoy. We're going to let assistant producer Marie take a break for the hour. We won't be taking calls. We're just going to be having a discussion, me and Jimmy, about the nativity of Jesus. Jimmy Aiken, of course, is senior apologist here at Catholic Answers and the author of The Bible is a Catholic Book. Uh, thanks for coming back and talking about baby Jesus with us. Oh, my pleasure. And even though it's just a conversation, that doesn't mean you won't be saying the phone number. You, did I say it already? I don't know if I even did, no, but, but I will. Not You're yet. right. At some point, I will say it. <laughs> You're right. Have it. Uh, all right. Well, uh, if we could just start by talking about the period of history that we're in, uh, the, in which the Lord is born into? What's going on in the world at that time? What's going on in Israel at that time? Okay, so um, people will be familiar with the history of Israel. The Israelites come into the promised land a little more than a thousand years before the time of Christ, either in the 1400s or the 1200s BC. King David lives around the year 1000 BC, and Israel fairly quickly after david after it's it's just after solomon david's son the kingdom breaks in two and you have the northern tribes that secede from the southern tribes and the northerners form the kingdom of israel and the south is the kingdom of judah and then the assyrians end up conquering the 10 northern tribes and take many of them away to live over in Iraq and Iran, and that's where the 10 lost tribes are. Mm -hmm. And then the southern kingdom continues for a while, but then it gets conquered by Babylon. And Babylon gets conquered by by the Medo-Persian Empire, and then they get conquered by the Greeks with Alexander the Great. And that's what spreads the Greek language all over this part of the world, because uh, which is gave us the language of the New Testament. Greek had become the main international language. And so that's why people all over the place spoke it. And that's how that's why the uh, New Testament is written in Greek. In fact, even once Rome takes charge, they largely speak Greek in Rome, not just Latin. If you were educated in Rome, you spoke both Greek and Latin. And how Rome gets control is kind of interesting. Now, after Alexander the Great died, his kingdom, his empire fell apart. And when he died, and he died under some rather mysterious circumstances, we're not exactly sure what killed him. It may have been a a drinking bout. It may have been a disease, but when he was dying, he allegedly was asked to whom should the kingdom go because he was so young. He was just in his 30s. um, He didn't have an appointed successor. 
And he had a son, but his son was retarded and was not really fit to govern. So they didn't know who his successor was going to be. And he allegedly said, the kingdom goes to the fittest. Mm -hmm. And that was a signal for for conflict among his generals. And he had four main generals that, um, that after his death decided not to fight each other. Rather than have a big war for control of the empire, they were at Babylon at the time in Iraq, and they said, let's just divide up the kingdom into four pieces. And that was what was known as the settlement of Babylon. So they set up four dynasties in different areas of of Alexander's empire, but their successors got into conflict with each other. So even though they didn't have a big immediate war, there were wars. And Israel happened to be in a border zone between uh, two of the successor empires. One is the Ptolemaic Empire. The Ptolemies were the Greek pharaohs of Egypt. After Alexander you know, took over Egypt, it was Greeks in charge. And then up in Syria, um, there was another uh, dynasty called the Seleucids. And the Seleucids and the Ptolemies would war with each other, and Israel was caught in the middle. And eventually, Israel was having – it had some limited autonomy after, the, after they came back from the Babylonian exile, but it, um, it was kind of fragile, and you had a succession dispute in Israel, and the Seleucids got involved and ended up taking over. And that's what gave us the holiday of Hanukkah. Oh yeah, that's right. being celebrated right now because the uh, the Seleucid uh, king Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple at Jerusalem, and so when when the Maccabees revolted and reclaimed autonomy, they rededicated the temple. And that's what Hanukkah is. It's the feast of rededication. And Jesus himself celebrated Hanukkah. It's mentioned in John chapter 10 that he was uh, in Jerusalem for the celebration of the feast of dedication. And that's what that is. That's Hanukkah. So they, uh, the Maccabees then led to a dynasty called the Hasmoneans, and they ruled Israel for a while into the first century BC. But then they had a succession dispute. There were a couple of rival brothers who both wanted to be king of, of Israel or of Judah. And so they did what their ancestors had. They decided to appeal to a foreign power mm-hmm. because Rome was now the rising foreign power and 63 BC. And his solution was take over Israel or take over the Holy Land. And he came into Jerusalem and he even entered the temple and demanded to see the Holy of Holies. He thought there was going to be like a big idol or a great treasure or something in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant had been. And he was surprised that, no, it's empty. And of course, the Jews were horrified by a Gentile, because only the high priest is supposed to go in there only once a year. And here's this uncircumcised Roman pagan general going in there. So, but they couldn't stop him. And the Romans had a system where they tended, tended not in many cases to rule directly. They would have local client kings. And the guy that ended up getting picked for that was Herod the Great. And so he was a kind of wheeler dealer conniver. Uh, His father had been a high official. He was only really kind of half Jewish. He was an Idumean, Mm -hmm. which meant he was Jewish by faith, but um, but not by ethnicity, because the Maccabees had forcibly converted the Idumeans to Judaism. And so that's how Herod ends up getting on the throne. So this Roman rule was actually quite recent. And there was still a lot of memory of the Hasmoneans, uh, the Maccabees, in other words, and all that they had done to promote Jewish independence. Right. And there was this, in fact, um, there's a, a study uh, that's done uh, in different fields of what names, you know, what baby names are popular. And if you look at the baby names for that were popular in first century Judaism, they're all like members of the Maccabee family. 
that's why we have John and John's and Judas's and oh. things like that. And James's all over in the New Testament. Those are Maccabean names. And so they're oh. really idolizing the Maccabees and they're hoping there's going to be there. There's this prophecy that the Messiah is coming and even neighboring peoples had prophecies of a great king arising in this area. And so everybody in Israel is all ginned up about the idea that we're going to have a repeat of the Maccabees. We're going to have a, uh, a Messiah born who's going to kick out these Romans and restore independence to us and restore the kingdom to Israel. Um, also, all of that is the setting into which he's born then. The, in, right. 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 Uh, so it's almost like a kind of globalism, really. I mean, I mean, you know, it's not the whole globe, but it's very uh, multicultural. Uh, the Greeks had tried to put it all cosmopolitan. under the, cosmopolitan. There you go. A very cosmopolitan uh, setting. Um, uh, right there at a crossroads of Asia and Africa and Europe. Yes. Yeah. And it, it if you want to evangelize the world, starting from a, a juncture like that is a logical place to start. So there may be a reason God put the Holy Land right there. Um, if, uh, if I could, Jimmy, we I'm going to ask you about the sources for what we know about the nativity. But at first, I want to ask you about the census, because it was was this a, mm -hmm. a common thing in the in the ancient world is the census. It's the census and pay the tax. Is that the purpose of the census or does the census have some other purpose? The truthful answer is we don't know exactly okay. what this was. Um, what Luke says is that the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. And okay. the question is enrolled how and in what yeah now a very common theory is that it was a tax census and so you would uh you know count heads and charge everybody a certain amount of money ba maybe based on the amount of land that they owned and and that's a possibility the romans did have you know taxes uh, so <laughs> yeah. every government has taxes right. and, and so that's one of the, you know, they say two things are certain death and taxes. Well, as soon as money was invented and really even before money was invented, there have been taxes yeah. in the old days, they'd take a share of your produce if, if you weren't using money. So the Romans definitely had taxes and they periodically did tax censuses. The, there's some question about which one this is though. Okay. We, we don't. Now, part of this is part of the difficulty is you need to identify in what year is Jesus born in order to say, well, were that was there a worldwide tax census at this time? And so that's one issue that complicates this. Another is the fact that we don't necessarily have complete records of everything the Romans did. Yeah, because a lot has been lost. We know they had certain tax censuses, some of which were local. Um, but it's been a little difficult to identify a specific one that Luke would have been talking about. And so there are other proposals, too. One of the things that we know about Augustus is that at a certain point in the year 3 slash 2 B.C., there was a an, a, an event where the whole people of Rome, all in all the Roman Empire, swore allegiance to him as the father of the country. Oh, OK. And Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, records that um, that 6000 Pharisees refused to say the oath. But everybody else, even in Israel, did. And so a proposal that some Contemporary scholars have been exploring is maybe that's what this was, oh. because if you think Jesus was born in the year three or two B.C., it could have been this uh, this oath of allegiance to see to Augustus as the father of the nation. And that might be it. On the other hand, it might be a it might have been a tax census. And one thing that people have puzzled over is the fact that Luke says this was when Quirinius was governing Syria. Quirinius was a Roman official who was set out as a governor, and one of his assignments was to govern Syria. And it, it's hard to see how that squares up with what Luke says, because we know about uh, Quirinius being an official governor of Syria later than this.
Oh, like okay. in, in the first decade after the birth of Christ. And so some scholars have said, well, how does how, how does this all match up? One proposal is that it's it, it sometimes translated, this was the first census under mm-hmm. Quirinius. So there might have been a later one that's that we know about and we just don't know about this. But actually, the Greek can also be translated before the census with Quirinius. And so it could be that Luke is clarifying, no, 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 don't think about the famous census under Quirinius. It's not that one. It's before. I see. Oh, okay. And okay. so so we're not entirely sure what this event was, but there are a number of possibilities. So if you hear a skeptic saying, oh, Luke is just wrong. No, there are multiple resolutions to this. The question is, which is the right one? Obviously, sure. Luke knew what he was talking about or he wouldn't bother mentioning this because he's clearly trying to refer to something his audience will know about. Right. It's just that at this distance, we don't have as much knowledge as his original audience did. Uh, okay, so you mentioned Luke there uh, uh, because this the census is mentioned in Luke's gospel, uh, and Luke is one of the sources we have for the nativity. Can you just talk mm-hmm. in general about the sources that we have for understanding the birth of Jesus? The two best sources are Matthew and Luke. Both Matthew and Luke have uh, what are called infancy narratives that deal with the childhood of Jesus. It's Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and also Luke chapters 1 and 2. And those are our primary sources of information. We do have other sources of information. Uh, You know, Paul mentions the birth of Jesus a little bit. I mean, we have uh, statements elsewhere in the New Testament that he's born of a virgin, or mm-hmm. born and born right. of woman and things like that. So we have slight references, but nowhere near as much detail as we get from from Matthew and Luke. Also, outside of the New Testament, we have a variety of early Christian documents that also record traditions about the birth of Christ. The earliest one that I'm familiar with is um, is a, a work called The Ascension of Isaiah, which is appears to have been written about A.D. 67. And it records some significant traditions about the birth of Jesus that we can talk about. We also have, there's another work from the first century, from the end of the first century, called The Odes of Solomon, which has an ode or hymn about Mary. And so we have some traditions there. We also, in the second century, we have some traditions from St. Justin Martyr in the mid-second century. There's also a document known that we often mention on Catholic Answers Live, known as the Proto-Evangelium of James or the Infancy Gospel of James that has traditions about the birth of Christ. And there are others as well. So it's not only Matthew and Luke, but Matthew and Luke are the two best sources. So when you look at Matthew and Luke, However, then what are their sources? Do we have any hint about that? Because they tell different aspects. Uh, so it doesn't. OK, I'm just going to throw out an idea to you and you tell me if I'm wrong about this. None of this is material is in Mark. Luke and Matthew tell the same story, but with they give different details about mm-hmm. it. You know, one with the Magi and one with the, the shepherds. shepherds. And, and so you so it would seem like they have different sources. But what do you make of it? Well, all of this material about Jesus's infancy had to come from Jesus's family now because they were the only ones keeping track of it. So it it, Joseph could be one of the tradition bearers or tradents to use a fancy word for it. Mary could be one of the tradents. Jesus himself could be one of the tradents and other family members could be, too. But somehow this ha- all has to come from Jesus's family. And l- we know who at least one of the Tradents was. Now, it's quite possible that Jesus could have told the disciples about some of this stuff himself. I don't have any evidence for that, but it's possible. But it, he may well have. But we do really well know who one of the Tradents in the family was, and that's Mary. Because in Luke, Luke twice. Now, I should mention ancient authors had ways of telling you who their source of information was without using a footnote, Mm -hmm. which is what we do today. We use a footnote. Ancient authors had other ways of doing it. One of them is a literary technique called an inclusio. 
And an inclusio is where you mention a person at the beginning of a of a story and at the end of a story to so that it includes that entire story. And this is a way that ancient authors would signal this is my source. It's the guy who's present from the beginning to the end of it. I see. And and we see that with Peter in the Gospel of Mark. Mm-hmm. Peter's there at the beginning and the end. He's the primary source for the information in Mark. Luke, in the infancy narrative, twice mentions Mary, and he mentions her. I mean, he mentions her more than that, but he mentions her twice in a very specific way. He says, Mary treasured these things in her heart. Right. And that's another way of saying Mary remembered this. Yes. And the fact that Luke is telling us Mary remembered this is Luke's way of saying Mary is the tradent. She's the source of this information. And that could mean that Luke talked to Mary personally and interviewed her. Or it could mean that Luke talked to people and interviewed people who had talked to Mary. Yeah. Um, but one way or another, Luke is telling us this information in the infancy narrative is coming from Mary. I got you. All right. Uh, Jimmy Aiken is our guest. We're talking about the nativity of the Lord with Jimmy. Uh, the, the date, I suppose, is one thing people always want to know about. When, what day was he born? Uh, obviously, zero. I mean, when? when, when <laughs> no. Uh, so when was he born? I mean, I, I was taught, I have to say, I was taught quite explicitly when I was in college uh, by Bible teachers, 6 B.C. Okay, and you will commonly hear 6 B.C. The logic for that goes, well, we know from Matthew and Luke that he was born during the reign of Herod the Great. Herod died in 4 B.C., it is said, Um, and he seems to have been born up to two years before Herod died because that's how old he was when the Magi show up. And so if you take 4 B.C. and you go back a couple of years, you get to 6 or 7 B.C. And so that's a commonly accepted date. Problem is the the evidence for that is not actually good. The evidence is that Herod died later mm-hmm. than 4 B.C. Herod died actually in 1 B.C. Josephus is our source of information about when Herod died, and he says he died between a certain type of eclipse and Passover. And that did occur in 4 BC, but they were way too close together for all the events that Josephus mentions. Okay. The better fit is in 1 BC. Okay. And if you say if you say 1 BC, you back up a year or two, you get to 2 or 3 BC. And that's what the church fathers say. They there's a consensus among the church fathers that it's three or two BC. And that's what Luke seems to indicate. In Luke 3, Luke says that that John the Baptist began his ministry in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. Tiberius came to the throne in AD 14. His 15th year would be AD 29. He also says that when Jesus begins his ministry just after John the Baptist, he was about 30 years old. So you take AD 29, subtract 30, you would think that would be 1 BC, but there's no year zero. Yeah. So it actually is 2 BC. And so Luke also points at three or two B.C. And uh, and the thing is that that um, there were calculations made uh, by Dennis the Short, right? In yes. making the Dionysius, Dionysius exiguus. Yeah. And so the, and so he, he was not quite guessing, but he didn't have all the information we have now when he made uh, AD, the year 81, the year that it was that had one. 1 B.C. technically. Yeah, 1 B.C. OK, so 1 B.C., the year that it was, he didn't have the. Uh, uh, that was a, a it was a very was well educated guess. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, and all of these are guesses. But the evidence is that Dennis the Short missed it by like a year or so. OK, uh, Jimmy Aiken is our guest. We're talking about the uh, nativity of the Lord. If you uh, I almost said if you have questions, but no, 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 we're not taking questions. We're just talking with Jimmy. I got a whole list of questions and I'm going to keep moving through them. Uh, I want to ask about whether Jesus was really born on December 25th and uh, something about the uh, we'll ask a, a couple questions about the uh, genealogies of Jesus, which are not the same uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff. When we come back right after this on Catholic Answers Live. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Robert B., Peter H., Lenora G., 
Andrew W. and Claire T. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is also brought to you by DeliverContacts.com, offering top brand contact lenses at always low prices with free delivery. Visit DeliverContacts.com and by Rosary Army, featuring award-winning Catholic podcasts, rosary resources, videos, and the School of Mary online community, prayer, and learning platform. Learn how to make them, pray them, and give them away while growing in your faith at RosaryArmy.com and SchoolOfMary.com. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm uh, getting to talk with Jimmy Aiken about the uh, nativity, and I've got so many questions. I thought, well, I'm just going to make this a conversation because, uh, you know, maybe you're uh, doing some baking or uh, taking care of things and uh, maybe even uh, traveling. I don't know. Uh, and it'd be nice to just hear from Jimmy about the nativity of the Lord. So that's what we are doing this hour. Let's let's uh, go to December 25th. Then we talked about the year he was born. Okay. Uh, uh, some people, no way he was born on December 25th. But what are the chances? Is it one in 365? <laughs> <laughs> or, or or is it better? <laughs> I think it's better than one in 365, but I also don't think it's certain. Yeah, okay. Um, you will have, if you, uh, the, the Gospels really don't give us information about this. And actually, birthdays don't seem to have been commonly celebrated by ordinary people. This is something that is kind of surprising to people because in our culture, birthdays are very important. Every kid looks forward to his birthday. Parents know exactly when the kid's birthday is going to be. At least the mothers do. Yeah. Um, the and birthdays are just a huge thing for us. And so there can be a an, a tendency on the part of a lot of modern people to think, oh, well, of course, Mary, uh, they would celebrate Jesus's birthday and Jesus and Mary would have known exactly when this was. And it's so important. Of course, they would have passed it on and later Christians would have known about it. Well, if it was that important, it would be in Matthew or in Luke. Yeah, right. It, clearly, it wasn't that important that this tradition be passed on. Also, though, the evidence really is that ordinary people in this culture in this time tended to frown on birthdays. Birthdays were something that were celebrated by royalty. Mm -hmm. They would have these big, lavish parties, and they uh, sometimes would get up to no good. I mean, there would be gluttony. There would be drunkenness. There could be sexual immorality. They, You could have your favorite prophet have his head brought in on a platter. Oh, I forgot about you that. Know. Right, right. Yeah. Birthdays were kind of frowned upon. There's only, if memory serves, there's two people in the Bible that have birthdays mentioned. One is Pharaoh and one is uh, the son of Herod the Great that cuts off John the Baptist's head. Um, and if you look at the early church fathers, they are kind of down on birthdays. Now, there's nothing wrong with birthdays, but the way they looked at it, they would say, oh, well, this is this is not a good thing to celebrate. You have these wicked examples. And what's really important is your birthday into heaven, which is the day you die. Mm hmm. So they actually you'll find early church fathers saying, do not celebrate birthdays if you're a sincere Christian. Now, that was their opinion. That was their time. That's not for us. Birthdays are fine, but they just didn't emphasize them. And even today, in some places, people have no idea what their birthday was I mean, there. In fact, a lot of times people in certain cultures, like among the Bedouins today in Israel, they won't know how old they are. Oh, they they'll just... know they'll know approximately. Yeah, I was born during the reign of this prime minister, but I don't know exactly what year it was. Uh huh. And this has been kind of startling for anthropologists from the West to discover that. So we don't have certainty about when what exact day Jesus was born. The only piece of evidence that is cited against Jesus being born December 25th from the Gospels is the fact that Luke records the shepherds were out in their in their fields on the night Jesus was born. And you'll have a lot of uh, Western scholars who have said things like, well, it couldn't have been in December then because it's too cold to keep sheep outdoors. Yeah. And that's absolute nonsense. In fact, to this day, shepherds 
pasture their flocks in Israel, in Bethlehem, on December 25th. There's a famous letter from one biblical scholar to another back in the 1960s who was there in Shepherd's Field, and he was like, oh, guess what? The 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 shepherds have their sheep out, and they even have the baby lambs with them. So this is not an argument yeah, against right. Jesus being born December 25th. In fact, if you actually study up on winter sheep care, if you Google winter sheep care, you will find out sheep have wool. And I already that, knew that. <laughs> and, and that keeps them warm yeah. in the cold weather. In fact, like other animals, they, they fleece up for the cold weather. And they, they evolved growing up outdoors in the winter. They didn't have barns, you know, in 10,000 BC. Mm-hmm. That was the, the, the sheep weren't even domesticated then. And um, so they naturally live outdoors during the winter and they're just fine. And in fact, um, you know, they didn't have big heated sheep barns to put the sheep in in the winter in first century Israel. So yeah, they were out there in the wintertime. In fact, sheep can get snow on them and they do just fine because of that um, wool that traps the body heat Mm -hmm. uh, and keeps the sheep warm. So that's not really a good argument. If you look at what the church fathers have to say on this question, you get a mix of dates. You don't have a clear uh, consensus like you do about the year. You don't have a clear consensus about the day. You get December 25th is one of the first days that we see being proposed. So is January 6th. And there are a few at other times of the year where some church fathers think it was a different day elsewhere in the year. But um, but now, by the way, you also sometimes hear people trying to link this to a pagan holiday, and the arguments for that also are not good. Um, yeah. But the the early you don't have church fathers saying, hey, let's hijack a pagan holiday so people will have an alternative wholesome celebration. They don't say things like that. The one who's the ones who support December 25th say that's when he I think he was born. Yeah, right. And so they're not they they don't betray an ulterior motive in what they're writing about this. So we don't know for sure December 25th is a possibility and it is one of the dates that's supported by um by the early church fathers. Now, there's another date that some have proposed based on the Bible. If you look in uh Revelation chapter 12, John sees a vision of a woman in heaven who is clothed with the sun, has the moon at her feet, and has a crown of 12 stars. Okay. The ancients were into astronomical signs. You know, you had, uh, that's what what brought the Magi to Israel, for example. Also, it says there right there in Genesis 1, God made the stars for signs. And so... Ancient people were looking for signs in the sky. Right, right. And and it has been proposed by biblical scholars that John is encoding, because the woman then gives birth to Christ. Yeah. John is encoding information about when Jesus was born using astronomical signs. So who's the woman in the sky, would you guess? Mary. Famous, famous, no, 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 not oh. biblical. Think constellations. Oh, the woman in the sky. Oh, oh, in the constellations. Oh, the no. Famous vir- the famous oh. Virgin constellation, maybe. Yeah, oh, Virgo? Virgo, that's right. And it so happens that uh, periodically the sun will be in mid-body for Virgo and the moon will be at the feet of Virgo. Oh. Do- now, now, the sun goes mid-body every year. Because the sun is passing uh, is passing through the zodiac, and so at some point in the year, it's going to hit mid-body on Virgo. But the question is then, is the moon at the same time going to be at her feet? And that doesn't happen so often. But it did happen on September 11th, 3 BC. And so some people have proposed September 11th, 3 BC oh. as Jesus' birthday. How interesting and clever. And they, I mean, they, they were just so much more aware than we are. Like for us, that might, we'd be like, well, that's kind of a, a, a magnificently obscure. It's not possible. But but they really were much more aware of the sky than we are, of what was yeah. going on up there. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. All right. Uh, thanks, Jimmy. Uh, let's. Um, shall I give you another question? Well, let me ask you this before we have to go to a break. Why? Why are Matthew and Luke's narratives so different? What they they, they don't read the same at all. I mean, not, I shouldn't yeah. say at all, but in general, they don't read the same. So they incorporate certain basic facts like a, there are about a dozen facts. That they both mention, you know, Jesus is born of a virgin. He was born in the reign of Herod the Great, things like that. His mm-hmm. parents were Mary and Joseph and so forth. But then they record these very different stories. And I think the reason for that is because uh, one is right. I think it's two reasons. One of them is writing to supplement the other. I think, you know, I think the authors of Matthew and Luke were aware of each other. Yeah. And so either Matthew wrote first and Luke is supplementing what Matthew said. Oh. Or, or, and I personally favor this, I think Luke wrote first and Matthew supplemented what Luke was doing. So I think that supplemental motive is one of the reasons they're different. The, the other, I think, is the audience's they're serving. My guess, and it's not more than than a guess, but my guess is Matthew had Luke in front of him and he he says, oh, there's all this stuff about Mary. And he's got um, he's 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 got with his genealogy, Jesus descending from uh, David's son, Nathan, not from Solomon. And how is my Jewish audience, Jewish Christian audience that I'm writing for going to react to that? I don't know that they're that interested in all this Mary stuff and in the uh, in the way he descends from Nathan. I think they are going to want to hear more about Joseph, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, who's the legal descendant of David for purposes of his messiahship and how Joseph descends from Solomon, who was the, the king. And so I think Matthew came along, he saw what Luke said, and yeah, this is all right, but I don't think it serves the interest of my audience as well as this other material. And so I think he deliberately uh, went with other material because he doesn't have space in a gospel. They needed to fit in a single scroll because they were so expensive. They needed to just be one volume works. And so he has to say, well, I have this other material that I really want to tell my audience about, so I'm just not going to include this stuff. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, you, yeah, you wouldn't you, you don't. he doesn't need to do both genealogies. Uh, uh, Luke has yeah. that one. Let me tell you the one that goes for Joseph's family uh, from that includes uh, Solomon. Solomon. And as you have said, over a thousand years, there's probably 10 million different ways you could arrange Jesus descending from David. I mean, I don't know how many. Ab- ab- absolutely. Uh, you there are multiple lines of descent. Yeah. Right. Because of the way. The, the ways these works like Queen Elizabeth is descended from William the Conqueror, like a hundred different ways or something. And Jesus descended from David multiple different ways. But there's actually and we may want to touch on this after the break. There's actually an interesting reason why Matthew and Luke may have highlighted these two different lines of descent. OK, we'll do that right after this on Catholic Answers Live. Welcome back. Catholic Answers Live, Jimmy Aiken, our guest. Okay, so Jimmy, we're in the midst of talking, in a general conversation about uh, the nativity of Jesus. We're in the midst of talking about the two different um, lineages given for Jesus uh, in in Matthew and Luke. You wanted to make one more point about that. Yeah. um, Also, I should mention, there's a common idea you hear that Matthew's is uh, Joseph's lineage and Luke's is Mary's. And there it's it's actually hard to support that, given the evidence, because that is not what Luke says. Luke does not mention Mary in his genealogy at all. So it's hard to suppose that this is Mary's genealogy. But there's an interesting reason why they may have focused on these two different lines of descent in the Old Testament. There is a curse placed on Jeconiah, king of Israel, at the time of the Babylonian exile. It says none of his sons are going to sit on the throne. And there's also another prophecy about the future restoration of the Davidic monarchy, where it says a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. This is a famous messianic prophecy. Right. And so some some Jews apparently put that together and said, OK, so none of Jeconiah's descendants, because they could all be called his sons. 
none of Jeconiah's descendants are ever going to be on the throne of Israel. Instead, a different branch from Jesse, who was the father of David, a different branch of the of the Davidic family is going to become king, and there will be a new dynasty. Now, Jeconiah was descended from Solomon, and so according to some interpretations, it could not be from the Solomon line that ran through Jeconiah that the Messiah would come. Uh-huh. Instead, he'd come from a different lineage of from the Davidic family. And, but that wasn't certain because there are other ways of taking the Jeconiah prophecy. Maybe it just meant none of his immediate sons are going to be on the throne because of the Babylonian exile. But that doesn't say anything about his long-term descendants. I see. And so you could have these two schools of thought, and it's possible that that's why Matthew and Luke use these two different lines as a way of saying, look, whichever theory you like about the Jeconiah curse, Jesus is still qualifies. If you think the Messiah needs to be a descendant of Solomon, he is. And if you think he needs to be a descendant from a different son of David than Solomon, he is because he's got more than one line of descent. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, the star of David. uh, Excuse me, the star that of of, um, uh, the, the. that leads the Magi. Yeah, the star of Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is it and, and who were the Magi? And this is in Matthew's gospel, not mentioned in Luke's gospel. Right. So uh, it's hard to know for sure what the star was. You've got a bunch of different proposals. I mean, the Aetherius Society thinks it was an alien spaceship, but they're wrong. Um, On so many things, the Aetherius Society. So many things. Yeah. Well, actually, a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. The... You'll also have the idea that it was a comet, mm-hmm. but it probably was not a comet. Uh, comets were seen in the ancient world as omens of disaster, not <laughs> the births of kings. Uh, you've had the proposal it could be a meteor, but meteors last for like a fraction of a second. They don't hang in the sky the way this thing did for the Magi. Um, it's been proposed it was a supernatural phenomenon. The, and that's often based on the idea that, it, that they were following it, that it was leading them around, and then it came to hover over the house saying, this is the house. Yeah. That's not actually what the text says. Um, I, and I know, and in this area, I'm just giving my opinion. Other people can have different opinions. But yeah. based, based on, and that's fine. Based on my read of the evidence, though, I don't think that's likely because if you all the text really says is that the star was in front of them on the way to Bethlehem. And when they found the house, the star was above it. So it doesn't say the star was moving around in an unusual way. Also, if there was an unexpected new star, they wouldn't know how to interpret it because it wouldn't fit in to their system of astrology. Uh, yeah, right, right. And it wouldn't have any meaning. It's this new star. It, how, what, are we, what are we supposed to make of that? So I think it was an established star. And because the fixed stars that just orbit every day don't move around, they don't have a lot of significance by themselves. The way ancient astrology worked was you looked at the planets, the wandering stars that move around in the sky, and you say, what part of the sky is this planet in? And that has a meaning. And um, there was one particular planet that was associated with kingship. Now, we kind of need to know about where the Magi were from in order to have a good guess at what kind of system of astrology they were using. A lot of times it's assumed that they were using Greek astrology because that's what most Western astrology is based on was Greek astrology. But they came from the East. Yeah. So why would they be using Greek astrology? There are different theories about who they could have been. Uh, I know Father Longnecker has a book suggesting they may have been Nabataeans. Um, 
I look forward to reading his argument. I haven't had a chance to yet. In the Church Fathers, you have a lot of people saying they were from Persia or Arabia or Babylon. Babylon is a very promising candidate. And we know a good bit about Babylonian astrology because we've got the records. You know, they had astrological books that we've found. And in Babylonian astrology, like in other astrologies of the period, Jupiter was the planet associated with kings. Mm -hmm. And Jupiter, by coincidence, in December of 2 BC, was hanging in the sky in the south as you were walking from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So... And Jupiter is associated with a bunch of other stuff. It's it's actually fascinating. In Babylonian astrology, the, they had a whole bunch of signs involving Jupiter and Venus and Regulus, which was a, a, a star that they also regarded as connected with kingship. And um, one of my favorite examples is they had if, – if there is a lunar eclipse – and Jupiter is not in the sky for the lunar eclipse. If the kingship star is not in the sky when the lunar eclipse occurs, that means the current king in Babylon is going to die. And so what they did to protect the current king is they appointed a substitute king. They took a they That's had this substitute do that. Yeah, nice. They had a substitute king ritual where they took a condemned criminal who was going to die anyway. They made him king for like three months. They had the real king demoted to like, oh, he's a farmer now. And we're all we're having the priest talk about him like he's just a farmer now. And this is the real king over here, the condemned criminal guy. And then they would wait out the danger period and then execute the condemned criminal. And the real king would assume his throne again. I swear there's and a movie in there. There's got to be a movie in there. <laughs> it's kind of like the Mikado. Yeah. Um, But uh, according to Babylonian astrology, there were certain signs involving Jupiter that would indicate the current king in Babylon is going to be overthrown. And there was there was another sign that said a important king is going to be born in a land called Amuru. Amuru is west Mm -hmm. from uh, from Babylon, but it's on this side of the Mediterranean. So that points us at, it's not as far west as Greece or Rome. It's it's mm-hmm. on the eastern side of the Mediterranean, so that points to Israel. And these signs involving Jupiter happened in 3 and 2 BC. Oh, yeah. So yeah. there's a very interesting book out um, on this subject that uh, that suggests, okay, they saw the signs saying there's gonna the king of Babylon's going to be overthrown. There's going to be this great king born in the West. Let's head West and go to the only semi-independent king in the area, the major one, Herod the Great, and make peace early to get this new king on our side so that when he knocks over the king of Babylon, we will benefit from yeah, that. Yeah. And and that, according to this theory, is the motive is what they saw and how it motivated them. And one of the signs is also the one from the book of Revelation. So there's a lot of stuff converging here, even though we can't be sure of everything. There's a lot of stuff converging here on this three two B.C. time frame that makes sense in terms of Babylonian astrology. Uh, Jimmy, before we have to end today, I just want to ask you, because we did, we, you, you hinted at it earlier. Is there any information outside the Bible uh, in addition to this kind of astrological information uh, that, that we should be aware of as far as the nativity of Jesus? Uh, yeah. So uh, one of the things that the uh, several of these early documents, like the Ascension of Isaiah and oh, yeah. the Proto-Evangelium of James mentioned, is that uh, Mary had a miraculous birth, that it was not just a normal birth, that something miraculous happened. This is mentioned in the Ascension of Isaiah, which, like I said, dates to seems to date to the year A.D. 67. Also, it's mentioned in the Proto-Evangelium of James in the mid-2nd century. The Proto-Evangelium of James also says Jesus was born in a cave, and that's the Grotto of the Nativity in Bethlehem today. And other ancient sources also indicate that he was born in a cave because houses were often constructed based on caves. 
and people would keep their animals inside. And that's why um, Mary is laying Jesus in a manger, according to these early sources, in a cave, because at the time it was a home. There was a section of the home that was um, that was reserved for the animals and the main the main dining area, the Cataluma, was full of people. And so that's why they were in this other part of the house. Um, incidentally, when Jesus is later in Luke, when Jesus is sending the disciples to go find the upper room so they can have Passover. Yeah. He's, he says, ask for where the Cataluma is, where I'm going to uh, receive oh. it. So this was not a traveler's inn necessarily. It could just be a part of a house where people lived and met and ate. And that's what was full. Jimmy Aiken, thanks very, very much. I appreciate it. Oh, you know what? Uh, you have written about uh, the accounts of Jesus' childhood at JimmyAiken.com, right? People, if, if people yes. want to read more, they can go there. It's called How the Accounts of Jesus' Childhood Fit Together. At JimmyAiken.com, A-K-I-N. Jimmy, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. You too, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, yes. Well, Jimmy, that was excellent. What further resources can we offer to the listeners and viewers on the topic? We'll have a link to uh, the paper that I wrote on how the accounts of Jesus's childhood fit together. Very good. So that's it from us this time. What are your theories about Jesus's birth? You can let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Jimmy Akins Mysterious World Facebook page, sending us an email to feedback at mysterious.fm, sending a tweet to at mys underscore world, visiting the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord, or by calling our mysterious feedback line at 619-738-4515. That's 619-738-4515. And I want to say a special word of thanks to Oasis Studio 7 for the video and animation work they did on this episode. They're available for hire, so if you have needs for video, animation, or design work, be sure to uh, give them a call or drop them an email. You can check out the work they do by going to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jimmy Aiken. And while you're there, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe, because if you engage with a video, it tells YouTube that you found it engaging. So YouTube will show it to other people, and you can help channel the channel grow that way. Also, you know, because I am trying to grow my channel, I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe and hit the bell notification uh, so that you always get a notification whenever I release a new video, whether it's Mysterious World video or one of the many others that I tend to be releasing these days each week. So, Jimmy, what's our next episode going to be about? Next week, we're heading towards New Year's, so we'll be doing a New Year's Weird Questions episode. We'll be talking about issues like baptizing fairies. What does Marvel's soul gem do to the eternal fate of a soul? What happens to your soul if the Borg assimilate you? Did Adam and Eve poop? Can you baptize an unborn baby? Is it possible to marry an alien? Would time travel cause an alternate universe? What are the implications of deathbed visions? And could there be an infinite number of past timelines and more? Excellent. Folks, be sure to follow Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Tune in your favorite podcast app or, as he said, at Jimmy's YouTube channel where you should hit the bell to get notifications. You'll find links to Jimmy's resources from our discussion on our show notes at mysterious.fm slash 290. And remember, to help us continue to produce the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Howdy, folks. This is Jimmy Aiken with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. Five years ago, StarQuest launched Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, which has become one of the most popular Catholic podcasts. The show educates and entertains tens of thousands of people every month, exploring mysteries and showing how we can use critical thinking to evaluate extraordinary claims. We're very proud of how Mysterious World has grown and fulfills our gospel mission. But we're not done yet. We are reaching tens of thousands, but even more people could benefit from hearing this and all the shows at StarQuest in our unique apostolate of spreading the gospel with podcasts and videos. To keep growing, to fulfill that mission, we need your help. In the course of the nearly 300 episodes of Mysterious World, we've continually improved the show, adding a video version and animations that help illustrate the concepts we discuss. 
We've also begun adding video to our other shows, as well as to enhance their presentations and reach new audiences. We've also launched new shows, most recently The Secrets of Sacred Art, which is best enjoyed as a video. And we have plans for even more growth, bringing the light of Christ to even more people online. We need your help, though, to make that happen. We have many generous supporters, but as time goes on, some people inevitably have to step back from giving. As a result, our resources have started to decrease. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time of year when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you're already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you and ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you're not yet a financial supporter, please become one now. Every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 a month? Whatever level of support you can offer, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas and remember that your gifts may be tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. May God bless you this Advent and may you have a blessed Christmas season. Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is also brought to you by... Tim Shevlin's personal fitness training for Catholics, providing spiritual and physical wellness programs and daily accountability check-ins. Strengthen yourself to help further God's kingdom. Work out for the right reason with the right mindset. Learn more by visiting fitcatholics.com. And by The Grady Group, a Catholic company bringing financial clarity to their clients across the United States, using safe money options to produce reasonable rates of return for their clients. Learn more at gradygroupinc.com. And by Great Lakes Customs Law, helping importers and individuals with seizures, penalties, and compliance with U.S. Customs Matters throughout the United States. Visit GreatLakesCustomsLaw.com. Until next time, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Dom. And once again to everybody, Merry Christmas. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Yakin's Mysterious World on StarQuest. And Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs>